values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I appreciate it as always when you spend a few minutes with the show. I'm having so much fun with people on Twitter because I think that Representative Liz Harris needed to be expelled for the things she did. We're going to get to that coming up here in just a little while. At 935, we speak with Ben Toma, the Speaker of the House here in in uh, Arizona in the Arizona State Legislature. This is a, a big occurrence, and I'm gonna we're going to get to in detail with him. But the reason why I think this is such a big story is there are things that you can't do, and I think that everyone one needs to stand up. And I think the precedent has been set that if this happens on the other side of the political aisle, that people are going to have to stand up and say that this was wrong. Uh, we're going to talk with Ben Toma at 935. He's the House Speaker on why this decision was made. It's a rare occurrence. It's not one that should ever be entered into lightly. And we're going to find out what it was that came to this decision and why he believes so many people in his side of the aisle or on his side of the aisle did this. In the meantime, I think one of the big important topics every day is is the economy. Um, I want you to hear a little bit. This is about inflation. This is an ABC News report talking about the Fed and inflation. It's not just inflation the Federal Reserve has been paying close attention to lately. The minutes from the latest meeting show the central bank's economists are spending a lot of time digesting what the failures of two major U.S. banks could do to the economy. They're predicting it could result in a mild recession starting later this year with the recovery over the next two years. That's tough, you know, and this is going to, there are a lot of Americans that are going to suffer for this. I want you to hear just some headlines that concern me. Number one, your tax refund could be smaller than last year. Here's why. And there's some details into who the, this could affect. Deficits top one trillion dollars for the first six months of fiscal year 2023. But here are the headlines that are going to concern most people. Runaway stampflation postage is expected to increase again. I don't know how many people, I'll be honest with you, this is a true story. Until I saw this story, I didn't know how much a postage stamp was. That's how long it's been since I've mailed anything. But the U.S. mail Still going to get more expensive. How's this? Inside the credit crunch, biggest drop for small business credit availability in over 20 years. Small businesses file for bankruptcy at a record pace, surpassing the COVID crash. And here's another one that I just wanted to throw in there. Um, uh, John Stewart interviewed one of the uh, defense secretary, deputy defense secretaries, um, and it got into kind of a shouting match about the DOD's $850 billion mismanaged budget. Um, there are two levels to this story that I want to talk about before we move on to any other topic. One is the massive overspending by our federal government. There need, I think leadership in this country has got to take a long, hard look at where we are as a nation, as divided as we are. Anybody that can find a place to unite us in thought, and I'm talking about the opposing political parties, not the people that work in the parties, the voters of the individual parties. They are shrinking in the sense that more people are registering to be independents than either one of the other two political parties. That doesn't mean they're the number one demographic yet, but they're growing in that direction. In Maricopa County, independent voters are number one, Republicans are number two, and Democrats are number three. Statewide, Republicans still hold the edge with independents in second place, Democrats bringing up the rear in the third as far as the three you know, largest demographics of registered voters. And I think our political parties need to start taking a look at this, but leadership, elected officials have to start looking at it too. 
The American public does not trust the government, nor should they ever. It's one of the brilliant part of the brilliance of our Constitution was that our founding fathers didn't trust the government. They see it as a necessary evil, that a representative republic is much better than a raw democracy. A government is a necessary evil that should be restrained, which is what our Constitution does. And there is no restraint anymore. The Republicans that want to overspend on their pet projects get yeses, and the Democrats that want to overspend on their pet projects get yeses. And in between, what ends up happening is no one gets told no, and we run up deficits like we have now. Both parties involved. And the leadership that comes forward, whether it's a caucus, you know, the caucus leadership in the House or the Senate, or a presidential candidate that comes out that talks about the overspending and the overreach of the government is going to win over a huge part of this country. So it is the massive overspending by our federal government that is a huge part of this problem. And when you drive up the interest rates, it costs us for the borrowing that we've done as a nation as well. And we are seeing trillions of dollars in deficits continue to grow. That's one part of this. The mismanagement of money, as you heard this, you know, I was just alluded to with the John Stewart thing, that not only does the government take far too much money from the American public and waste it in wasteful spending, they also misuse it and they don't keep account of it. That's another big problem. The other side to this is we are seeing exactly what the fears were, and that is small businesses are suffering. The people that have started a small business, and, and many of you have either have a small business or you work for a small business. And the problem is this. It is not just their livelihood. It's usually their life. They put everything they have into starting and growing this small business. They make wise decisions. They do what's necessary to keep their employees paid. And when these things out of their control, when they can no longer qualify for credit, when the interest rates have grown so high that they can't tap into those lines of credit to keep their people employed, they have to start laying people off. So we're not talking about, and I hate this term because I don't believe in it, but the greedy corporations, they always seem to be a fair target. If you're if you are a start out as a small business and you grow into a major corporation, it seems like it's okay to, to dump on you and charge you more in taxes and no one cares how high your interest rates are. I do, but let's go just with the small businesses that are trying to grow into the medium-sized companies and try to do good things for their employees. When they can't access lines of credit because it's too expensive and banks can't take the risks because of bank failures, this is what you see happen. Good people that work hard, that put everything into it. That, you know, start out as a small contractor. And I have so many friends um, that I, I can I was as a matter of fact, I was just texting in a group text with a friend of mine named Brad, who was a general contractor who I've known for 20 years and has done these jobs himself. He runs the business um, his, as a family. They ran the office. They ran the business. They were very good at what they did. They were honest people. They paid their bills. They took care of their subcontractors and they built many things here in Arizona. When they start facing challenges, and I'm not saying he's one of them, I'm saying he's what I think about. Those people, when they face challenges and borrowing money, it hurts everyone. And this is one of the big fears, and it should be one of the biggest fears. What we're going to do in a moment is we're going to talk about school safety, but a different angle. The Arizona superintendent of public instruction, Tom Horn, wants school resource officers in all schools, and he thinks there's money for it. We'll talk about it next.
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much. Uh, appreciate you being here. Uh, Phoenix Suns are back in the playoffs, and we're giving you a chance to score the hottest tickets in town. Um, it's Suns playoff tickets. If you want to get on this in this in this contest, you got to text the word "ticket" to four one one ninety two three, and then listen at eleven a.m. and four p.m. for your chance to win game one tickets to see the Suns take on the Clippers. So at eleven a.m., we're going to give you an opportunity. We're going to call out a name, and that person has ten minutes to call in, and they're going to be registered to have a chance to win tickets. If that person doesn't call in, we open the phones, and somebody else gets a chance. So text ticket four one one ninety two three. So the Arizona superintendent of schools, Tom Horn, says that he wants school resource officers in schools, and I do too. This is where I I think that – you know, we disagree. To, uh, many people do at different levels of what gun control works and what we should be doing. And I've laid out my case for this for a very long time and how we keep people safe and would banning certain weapons. And I've tried to be as, I don't know, logical as I can, but there's always going to be that argument. I don't understand for the life of me how anybody with a conscience could say having police officers that are armed on school campuses make schools safer. It is a ridiculous argument to say otherwise. And we have armed – you have Capitol Police at the U.S. Capitol that are armed, and you have to go through metal detectors and weapons detectors, and they have drug and bomb-sniffing dogs at the Capitol building to protect members of Congress. We have a, a name of place. Major corporations have armed guard personnel on, on, on staff, most of them former law enforcement. Sometimes they're off-duty law enforcement. We did our show for a couple of days doing Super Bowl week from the NFL experience down at the convention center. There were cops Everywhere, in uniform and armed, didn't take away from the party. There were cops all over the Waste Management Phoenix Open during that golf tournament. Never slows the party down. But what you hear from the gun control crowd is cops on campus with guns. Oh, yeah, that's great. It was uh, it was the coach of uh, the San Antonio Spurs that went off on saying, do you really want your? Yes, no one cares. Armed police officers are a good thing. They have off-duty police officers that protect school events all the time. Go to a high school football game. At high school football games, you will often see police officers, many times canine officers, at school football games, at school events. This is a blatant attempt to only focus on taking guns away from people and not looking at any other practical options to make schools safer. Superintendent Tom Horn extends the deadline for school resource officer grant money. He believes it can be paid for. The announcement comes a day before the Phoenix Union High School District Board discusses possibly bringing school resource officers back on campus. This is another story. This is so when you hear when another, unfortunately, when another shooting happens, another mass shooting happens, especially at a school, people run to the gun control conversation. Why doesn't the local um, media with the local journalists. Why aren't they running? Well, Dr. Geston is leaving the Phoenix Union High School District as superintendent. But why wouldn't the media in the largest city in the Southwest, I, I would, well, I shouldn't say we're largest in the Southwest, the fifth largest city in the country, we are bigger than Vegas. Um, we're not bigger than LA, but we are a large city. I'm a Phoenician. Why wouldn't Why wouldn't reporters run to the school board and say, doesn't this make you rethink the idea of getting rid of school resource officers a couple of years ago?
If we are now saying that the, what happened both in Nashville at a school and Louisville at a bank building, the police have been lauded for their quick response in saving lives, in getting there fast and taking care of business. Why wouldn't this be a major news story here in the Valley? When we hear about one of these horrible occurrences, why wouldn't somebody be reaching out to the Phoenix Union High School District and saying to the school board, what are you doing? Why do we not have police officers on campuses? And this is the superintendent believes uh, in a Wednesday in a Wednesday news conference. Superintendent Tom Horn said 81 percent of the 614 people they surveyed statewide said they support police officers at school. I talked about this survey on the air yesterday. Some school districts, like the Phoenix Union, don't have school resource officers on campus. The district decided not to renew its contract. In that, It's a decision that a mother still is not happy about. And the mother goes on in this news story to talk about why she's not happy about this. Um, the Arizona Department of Education said there is $50 million available. That money can go toward SRO and school counselors. However, Horn says he will prioritize the money for SROs. If schools do not have SROs and want money for counselors instead, Horn said they have money left over and it can go for counselors. This is a quote from Tom Horn. I give first priority to school resource officers, but that doesn't mean I'm against having counselors in schools. I think kids should have somebody to talk to when they have an emotional problem. What are we doing? I mean, what are we are we really concerned about safety or is it your kind of safety in which is it isn't more guns? We don't want you're you're never going to make schools safe unless you have people there. Name another situation. I want you to think about this. Name another situation, whether it's a, a, a political figure or otherwise, that isn't protected by someone with guns. The governor has a detail. Mayor of Phoenix has a detail. Even the sheriff has a detail. You look around at our politicians, and they are protected by armed people. But somehow it gives the wrong impression if we're going to put resource officers on school campuses. Someone's got to start speaking up. In just a moment, Ben Toma joins us. He is the uh, Speaker of the House in Arizona. We're going to ask him about the um, expulsion of Liz Harris. Stick around. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. One of the biggest news stories in the country this morning, especially when it comes to American politics, is from the Arizona State Legislature, as former Representative Liz Harris was expelled in the House of Representatives yesterday. Joining us now to talk about this is the Speaker of the House, Ben Toma. Uh, Mr. Speaker, thanks for coming on. Thank you. I know this is a a very serious topic, so I want to go from the beginning with, can you talk about the seriousness of why, I mean, this is so rare. Why did you go to this level? Why do you think it came to this in all these accusations? Well, I think you're right. This is definitely rare. We've only done this a a handful of times in the history of the state, and it's a very serious situation, but... I think it's important to just point out also that it was kind of a sad and unfortunate day for for the legislature. Uh, but looking all the information that was gathered and, and and laid out in the ethics committee through that process in the report that was produced, it was clear that um, that Representative Harris needed to leave and that uh, their actions were were entirely warranted. 
because fundamentally as members we we have to hold ourselves to to a pretty high standard of behavior uh, i think people expect that uh, we have to be ethical and uh, clearly that did not happen in this case can you explain how this normally goes if someone is going to come into an official hearing at the legislature if they're going to make accusations like this do they have to bring the proof with them do they have to have proof ahead of time what is the normal procedure to make an accusation like this and have it stand and be allowable well, first of all, it's it's the wrong place to make an accusation uh, and some of the accusations that were made, and, and that's part of the problem here. But really the issue is that you cannot circumvent the rules of the House and, and coordinate with people who are absolutely bringing false allegations and in some instances uh, with this situation uh, fabricated information in, into the chamber really for the purpose of putting it in the public record. Uh, Presumably because they couldn't do it anywhere else. In other words, a court, they couldn't do it in a court of law or, or any other place. And so, uh, and, and anyway, present it like it's true and then, and then you deny that you did it. Uh, and that's effectively what she did. And, and that's really where there are multiple breaches of, of the House protocol, multiple breaches of the rules. And, um, and that's again what, what, what had happened here. Now, to, to, to answer your question directly, you know, Part of the reason that we have hearings is to make sure that we're presenting factual information. So when when you deliberately circumvent that process and and and, and you, you you end up with a situation that's that's happened here, which is why we had to take action. Was there an investigation on any part? I mean, there's one thing to say if you have proof of this, bring it forward. But was any of these were any of these accusations investigated? And are you sure that all of these uh, accusations are false? Well, I can't say for every single accusation uh, because there were so many and they were so fantastical. But I can say categorically that I'm uh, familiar with at least a few which were which were uh, uh, targeted at, at, at myself and, and other members of the legislature that are categorically false. I can say with firsthand knowledge that they're categorically false. And and so but again, this wasn't the, even the right place to do this. If you're going to make uh, criminal allegations, you have to do that uh, through the process that we have. We believe in the separation of, of powers here. We're all we all swear an oath to, to uphold the Constitution, and and that's part of the, the process. So if there were in fact um, serious breaches of, of criminal conduct or, or or issues of that nature, they should have been brought through the regular process. As a matter of fact, Representative Harris was advised to do that uh, at least a month before this, based on the the testimony that came out in the ethics process. So and yet she chose not to do that. She chose to to use this medium instead. Uh, it's just the wrong place to do it, and especially when you don't have any actual proof, uh, that's also a major problem. Arizona, Arizona House Speaker Ben Toma is joining us. So let's talk about the process moving forward. So the way I understand this process is that the district in which she represented will now vote on bringing forward three names to the County Board of Supervisors that can either choose one of those three and or reject those three and choose from a different group. Is that true? My understanding, and, and I, I can only speak from personal knowledge on this, um, in part because I was actually uh, appointed to the legislature through a very similar process back in 2017. And it, it, my understanding is that the, the Board of Supervisors does have to pick one of those three, unless uh, the district is unable to provide uh, the three in the first place. Okay. At that point, they would be open to choose whoever they, they want that's in that district. But it does have to be of the same party. So in this case, it would 
definitely have to be a registered Republican. So moving forward, we understand, obviously, with the very small majority of Republicans, this puts you you know, at a disadvantage now in the House of Representatives. In the meantime, before somebody else is appointed, how do you conduct business? Well, as it turns out, we're, we're at a place in the schedule anyway where there's a little bit of a lull as we're trying to negotiate a budget. So this actually, in many ways, doesn't really impact our schedule all that much. Uh, keep in mind, though, that most of the bills that we pass here are bipartisan. Um, of course, the ones that get attention are the ones that are not, that end up being fights of various kinds, party line or whatnot. But um, this actually doesn't slow us down that much in terms of a process, uh, from a process standpoint. Um, and the, the legislature, I'm sorry, the, the Board of Supervisors does have 10 days uh, by law to appoint someone. So uh, by the time that process uh, finishes out, we'll, we should have another member and uh, we should be able to be back on the floor in, in, in full numbers and, um, and be able to finish out this budget, hopefully, in the next uh, few weeks here. Um, did you have any conversations with uh, Ms. Harris before or after the vote yesterday? And if you can, can you give us any insight into those conversations? I I did. Uh, I did have a conversation with her right before the vote. I offered her the the ability to 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 resign and uh, and she chose not to. And uh, I think she's already spoken about this publicly. So I don't mind saying the same thing as well, because it's happened. It happens to be what exactly happened. And she said that she stands by everything that she did and that she wasn't going to resign. And so uh, it was a very brief conversation and we went out to the floor and um, and what happened happened. You know, uh, I know that it's got to be difficult for the Republican caucus to vote in favor of expelling one of their own. Can you give us any insight into what members of the Republican caucus in the House said behind the scenes or what came what, what helped you all come to this decision? You know, I, I can't speak for every member, but what I can say is that the, the evidence and the report are available for anyone to review, as well as the ethics committee hearing, which, uh, again, you know, anybody can review. They unanimously voted. Every member of that committee uh, voted to uh, that, that Ms. Harris violated the House rules. And I implore everyone to look at the actual evidence before before making a decision on this and before casting stones in any way. We, we cannot have members choosing which rules and laws are acceptable uh, to overlook uh, as it as it degrades the integrity of the House. What really happened here is that it was her privileged use of her uh, authority as a legislature to make false allegations that that just we cannot have happen. We have we are held to a higher standard. And I think that's why you saw the vote the way it turned out, that most members agreed that that was completely unacceptable for a sitting member of the House. So then my last question is, why didn't leadership, because, again, maybe this is procedural and I don't understand. Why didn't leadership, you or the or the Senate president, step in during this testimony and stop it from happening? Uh, I'm sorry, during the original testimony? Yeah, during the, the yeah, during the original testimony. Well, so there is a process again, and we respect the the authority of a chairman. And there were there, there was a chairman. There was a joint chairman type of setup for that hearing, since it was a joint hearing between the House and the Senate. Uh, we, you know, we follow the process, and we respect the chairman's authority to run a meeting. Uh, once it became clear, you saw that some once members realized, I should say, during that hearing. For those that watch it, you'll see what I mean towards the end that th- that this was going to be a problem. A very serious questions were asked, and some members objected to what was being said, and uh, and and. and and then it was eventually ended uh, with um, with with a famous uh, 
a motion from uh, Representative Harris herself that, that ended the, the whole conversation. So, I, again, I, I, the only thing I can tell you is uh, before people jump to conclusions, they really should look yes. at what exactly happened here. Yeah, I did. I read the report as myself. I just wanted to get it kind of on the record with your answer. So I appreciate the time as always, uh, Mr. Speaker, and I hope you'll come back under better circumstances next time. Happy to. Thank you. All right. Thank you. That's Speaker of the House, Ben Toma. Coming up in a moment, uh, we are going to talk about another concern, this time in Washington, D.C., with the United States Senate. It's happening here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Here's the headline. Fellow Democrats turn on Dianne Feinstein calling for her to resign from Senate for dereliction of duty. Uh, Senator Feinstein, after hearing about calls for her uh, resignation, has asked for a temporary replacement on the Judiciary Committee because it's holding up appointments. Um, I will say this is nothing to do with Senator Feinstein. This is a problem within, I'd say, leadership, especially in the United States Senate, is that we have people that stay far too long. Um, I am someone that is climbing in age much faster than I want to admit at 50, almost 56 years old. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be a time when um, I'm, I don't, I'm not as sharp as I believe that I should be. Um, it is just a fact of life. As we get older, we slow down. Our bodies slow down. There are a lot of things that my brain says I can still do that my body says absolutely not. But we also – this is a bigger issue. Um, I've complained about this before, and I want to implore leadership in both political parties that we should be doing a better job of fostering growth with younger people, not just with them being interested but getting them involved. Um, uh, just from my perspective as a Republican, the young Republicans, I'm sure there's YDs like there's YRs. There's young Republicans. There are the high school Republicans. There's the teenage Republicans, the TARS. There is college Republicans. My point is there are young people in both political parties that are active and engaged and want to learn. Leadership needs to be training up that next generation, and I mean really training them. You don't just let them wear a T-shirt and hand out flyers and get signatures on ballots. They need to learn and fostering that next generation. The two stories that always come to mind about this um, – First of all, I want to talk about, uh, and I've mentioned them before, and I'm going to have one of the leaders of this organization or group on with me, and it is the Doty London training here in Arizona. Uh, Doty London uh, training is for women that want to learn about the political process, everything from working on a campaign to being a candidate yourself. It is an inside look. It is a comprehensive training class. It is an amazing source for women that want to get into politics, and I'm going to have one of the leaders on to describe it more because I think for both parties, it's valuable to say we are taking people that are not necessarily engaged and teaching them to be engaged. The other story that I think is really representative of what it should be is if you go all the way back, I believe it was 1964. It was before I was born. That's how long ago it was. Uh, Ronald Reagan gave a speech to raise money for Barry Goldwater, and that speech was called A Time for Choosing. And it was more of a coming out party for Ronald Reagan, which nobody necessarily expected, but that's where Ronald Reagan's foundation, at least nationally exposed, came out. And it took years. He went on to become a governor, and then he was a candidate in a primary, and he lost, and then he won the presidency. And it wasn't until 20 years later in 1984, when he won 49 states for re-election, that Ronald Reagan became the Ronald Reagan that he was remembered for. My point is, there were decades of growth that got him to that point. 
we have so many people now, and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying we have so many people now that have never really been engaged in the process whatsoever that jump in and say, I want to be this. But more than that, I would say the people that stick around for decades in these offices that know it's not about losing their faculties necessarily, but they stay in these offices for so long instead of looking out there and saying there is young leadership out there and I believe that person needs to do this job next. This is the group of leaders that we need. If you look at every organization, we're going to have the NFL draft is coming up. They are constantly doing this. Coaching, they there is a coaching tree, they call it, where head coaches have a lineage of head coaches that are now coaching under their tutelage. Every thriving organization is training up the next generation. And I think in this country, in American politics, we need more of it. And we don't have nearly enough of it. I just think it needs to happen. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, um, is there hypocrisy in the cancel culture? That may sound like a rhetorical question, but I want to point out the utter hypocrisy in this and the reason why many people don't subscribe to it, myself included. So we're going to talk about that coming up in a few moments.